0: Welcome to Because People Count, the Accountancy Europe podcast. This podcast tackles the hottest topics for the European accountancy profession. Get your need-to-know update from Brussels. Too often, we tend to think of the world of work as separate from our private lives, and this ends up dividing our time and personalities into separate categories. Our commitment to doing a good job at work often means that we sacrifice commitments to ourselves and loved ones. This is a division that is seen all too often in the accountancy profession as well, where the need to achieve often means personal sacrifice. At Accountancy Europe, we have been working with young professionals to see what we can do to make the profession more appealing to a younger generation, those just starting out in their careers. And we see we have a long way to go. Add to that the ongoing pandemic that has meant work life and the work self is overlapping with the private individual. How do we resolve this conflict? Is there a way that work can embrace the whole person? How can we get a very traditional profession to embrace this kind of change? I'm very pleased to welcome Vic Petri, CEO and founder of Performance Innovations and former partner at PwC. Much of his career has been focused on resolving these mental health issues to guide teams to better performance and healthier work environments. So thanks so much for joining us today, and can you please introduce yourself to our audience?
1: Thank you, Andrea, and hi everybody. Uh, My name is Vic Petri, and I have recently retired from PwC. I spent over 32 years with the company. And in the last 10 years, I spent a lot of time around the area of performance improvement, working in the transformation office, helping to drive digital transformation. And then in the last three years with PWC, I was on the global assurance leadership team and I spent most of my time helping our business transform to a digital business. Uh, and I was also the human capital leader for the assurance business globally. Um, and. You know, I think when you look at some of those roles and how I see things coming together, there's definitely some trends that I think are relevant to the discussion today. In particular, how the pandemic has really accelerated a lot of the trends that were already in place. The pace of change has increased. You've also got the digitization of the business, and that's accelerated. We've also seen the complexity of life increase. And we've also seen what I think was already a trend around health, well being, and mental health accelerate. Um, and so I, I think it really means, although a lot of companies were already doing it, I think it means we need to accelerate how we're rethinking the needs of the workforce of the future and what people really need to thrive in the workplace and bring their best both to the business. Also, have something left for themselves to bring their best to their family and their relationships and their life.
0: The pandemic has taught us that working from home isn't necessarily the solution to a lot of the stresses that uh, work has brought. It just brings the same stresses that you had in the in work and adds a lot of stresses that you already have in your home. How has the uh, mass shift to remote working affected the management of staff and what can companies realistically expect from their teams with this added conflict of home and work being basically on top of each other?
1: It's a great question and I think, you know, let's look maybe at there's the good side of this and then there's sort of the not so good side of this. I think there was certainly some doubt in the system around whether or not remote and virtual working could really be successful and could employers count on their people to deliver and be productive if they were working out of their house. So I think the good thing we've seen out of this is, yeah, this can absolutely work and people can thrive and we're no longer as dependent around where we live and geographically where the business is for those things to be connected. So I, I think that's a good thing. Maybe the not so good thing is that's been combined with this pandemic. So it's added a lot more pressures into the system and it's kind of hard to pull those apart and see, well, is it just a pressure of working at home? That's driving up some of the stress, or is it the combination of the pandemic on top of that and kids being schooled at home and parents now being responsible for the schooling? So you're seeing all of this stuff added on top. Some of the things I've heard from people is, I can no longer escape from work. It's always there. The computer's there, the office is there. And so I'm actually working more than I worked before when I went to the office. I think this means too, that leaders just need to be a little more tuned into it and sensitive to the challenges and the needs of working remote, uh, because it's definitely a lot harder, I think now for people leading teams virtually to really understand what's happen- happening for them.
0: Where do you see the entire individual? Should we be bringing more of our home selves to work, our work selves to home, or is the split just something that needs to be finessed um, just based on, on your experience?
1: We have not done ourselves a a service. In thinking about this notion of what we've called work-life balance, which implies that it's a zero-sum game. And if I'm going to be successful in work, it means I'm pulling away from my personal life. Or if I'm going to be successful in my personal life, it's going to come at the cost of business. And I think we have to rethink that paradigm. And instead of it being a zero-sum game, look at it as an integrated approach. When I... Create sustainable high performance for myself as a human being. I'm able to bring a better person to work and deliver more productivity, deliver more creativity, innovation, a better experience for my customers. And the knock on effect is I'm going to have a better life experience too, because I'm going to have more energy, I'm going to be healthier, and be able to give more to my family and my friends and my relationships. So I think we need all of us businesses leaders start need to start thinking about this as an integrated approach that is in harmony versus a choice between work life and personal life
0: i see that's a lot where a lot of young professionals seem to be approaching their lives they haven't had the same expectation that um, previous generations have in, that they would need to segment off their life into different ways. And so very much to accommodate uh, the new generation coming into the workforce, it seems like this is a shift that uh, workplaces will need to make because that is what the um, incoming work, workforce yes. uh, will will expect.
1: Whether or not you believe there's a business benefit to looking at this in an integrated way, the reality is in all of the the surveys and work that that we did at pwc it is absolutely true that the next generations are not willing to make that trade-off of work for life or life for work and so we're going to have to figure out how do we integrate them so that they can have that life that they want that rich full life experience and also bring what they can their best person, their optimized self to the workplace.
0: Definitely. And what are the key factors that you've discovered that help employees do their best work?
1: To me, there's like three areas that require focus. The first is working practices and making the work efficient, because if the work is not efficient, if if you've got waste and bottlenecks and a lot of pain points in the work, people get quickly frustrated. And that creates stress and anxiety. So doing everything you can to make the work as efficient as possible, looking at the process, taking out those inefficiencies is absolutely critical. And, And a lot of companies do focus on that. But then I think we also need part two is to look at personal performance, going beyond just wellness and health to look at optimizing people's performance and helping them build sustainable high performance. So how do they help engineer a framework where I can show up to work just about every day and know how to be in a state of really high performance. And then when I need to get to peak performance or optimal performance on those days where you're doing the most important work. And then the third piece is looking at team performance. So how do we optimize teams? How do we get them into what are called flow states so that the output of the team is actually greater than the sum of the parts because there's been a lot of research around flow and flow states for individuals and teams that would indicate that when people and teams are in flow their output and performance is orders of magnitude greater than when they're in normal states or low states of performance
0: Absolutely. On the idea of output, a lot of times we tend to prioritize the quantity over the quality where the person who pushes out the most work gets the most reward, not necessarily the person who thinks carefully but might go a little bit slower and work at at like a sustainable pace. And the the work world as we have it right now tends to prioritize the people who can work at speed. But at a certain point, you need to realize that when you're working at speed, you're not necessarily uh, delivering quality and
1: um, Mm. you
0: end up chasing your own tail by the end of it just to get the next thing out, the next thing out, the next thing out. And 50% of it is thrown away. Well, well, I'm going to be a little
1: controversial here maybe because I think the paradigm... in in particular in the professional services industry has been very much input-based because that's how we've built clients by the number of hours we've worked. So we've measured performance and we've measured the value of things based on how many hours or the input side of the equation when that may not at all indicate the value of something coming out the other end. And to your point of I don't know whether I'm spending two hours or spending four hours is better. You know what I need to look at is the output. What was the quality? What was the impact of the output? And particularly as we move towards a world of digitizing the business and having technology start to do some of the work, input-based measures are no longer going to be relevant. So the accounting profession and the service profession overall professional services are going to need to go through a significant shift in how they think about valuing work and billing clients and needs to shift to something that is more output-based. And when we do that, then we can look at things like, well, what was the impact? I don't really care whether it took you two hours, four hours, or 10 hours. What I care is what was the value and the impact coming out? And if it took you two hours, awesome. Go do something else go skiing, go surfing, go do your yoga class because you use technology and you're really productive and you get the benefit of getting it done quickly. And by the way, that's what the young people really value. They look at how we think about billing clients and tracking value and they're like, this is crazy. It shouldn't matter whether it took me five hours or two hours. <laughs> but, you know, and if I wrote a new program to do to do something or, you know, put an algorithm in a spreadsheet, everybody should value my innovation.
0: There's the classic saying where a task expands to fill the amount of time you have to complete it, right? right? So you can either spend a week or a day on the same project and come to the same conclusion because you've just dragged it out for a week as opposed to what you could have done in a day. It's true, but it rewards inefficiency and it rewards quantity over quality of the work that people uh, tend to produce, which is also, I think, demoralizing for the employee as well to know that even if you are bringing your best innovations, your best ideas to work, they won't be appreciated unless they it took you a week to, to produce this result.
1: The profession, maybe for the first time, is looking at competition, real competition from outside the world of traditional professional services. And you see a lot of technology companies that are building technology, automation, artificial intelligence that can do a lot of the accounting functions and potentially the auditing functions and can replace a lot of what was done previously by human beings. We in the profession are going to need to shift to change because our clients are going to demand that we think about things differently, that we use technology, that we be innovative, and we start to reduce the number of hours so that they can get things done faster, we can turn around things quicker, and we can serve them better.
0: I wanted to touch on this point, in fact, because we had a conference in 2018 um, trying to pick up on exactly this point about how many small, medium sized enterprises that the mom and pop sort of setups tend to shy away from using technology and see it a bit as a threat to uh, their role, as, as you're saying, and that how the profession as a whole needs to refocus its attention away from this numbers game where AI will, and uh, programs, it doesn't even have to be necessarily AI, can uh, produce results in a way that human accountants just can't because of the precision. But what human accountants can offer is advice. It can give you the outlook on what you can expect uh, coming up. It can give you insights to what else is going on. They can keep an eye on what new legislation are coming out which you can possibly gain um, extra funds for for small businesses and things like that. And those are the areas where it is the human um, interaction, it's the human awareness and sensitivity that you'll never get from a computer program. So a shift in skills as well, yes. and an understanding that it's not always the hard skills that that will be of most value to the client.
1: So, so I think this is where the profession has a great advantage over technology companies, is we have a rich tradition of running people businesses and delivering value through the relationships with our clients, knowing how to create those relationships and deliver value through them is something that technology may never be able to do. So there's a, great opportunity there but again that's done through people and to take advantage of that this this now circles back to where we started around well-being mental health and and really thinking about our people holistically with the business to be successful and leverage that we need to really start thinking about how do we take the workforce of the future to the next level and deliver for our people a great experience that is competitive with what's being offered out there in the market in other places as well and i think the 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 challenges today in the pandemic make it all the harder for us to coach and develop people in this environment when you're not with them every day when you're doing it through you know in a two-dimensional screen <laughs> uh, and you may be seeing people a little bit but you're not really getting the full picture uh, of Of what's going on for them, and so I, I think that the the profession probably needs to double down right now on how they think about their people, coaching their people, developing their people. I'll give you one more example of that. We have people that have started with organizations in the last year that have never worked in a non pandemic environment in professional services right they've They've come out of college, they went into Professional services, or maybe into a company in an accounting role. And this is all they know. They haven't had the experience of interacting with others, having to collaborate face to face, deliver service face to face, build those relationships. So, as compared to maybe their peers that have been around a couple of years, there's a gap in their skill set. How do we start to refill that gap? So, when we go back to maybe where we're seeing people face to face and we're interacting, they have those interpersonal skills and relationship skills to be successful.
0: It's really true that those are the skills that you don't always think to train for when you have new employees because those are very much learned on the job and just as part of being in the workforce. And now, Companies begin to see that, no, this was an actual skill that we were teaching employees without realizing it. And without those skills, it's really clear that there's a gap in what they're able to achieve in their work. I think this brings us back a little bit to something you touched on earlier, because for teams and individuals to perform their best, they need to achieve this flow state um, where they can concentrate on what they're doing, where they have found the focus that they need to perform at the highest level. Maybe we can talk a little bit more about that. Can you tell me more about uh, flow state and beyond that team flow state?
1: Yeah, I think this is really fascinating. And McKenzie actually did a study on flow state over a number of years with executives. And they found that CEOs reported that they were five times more productive when they were in a state of flow at work. So you, you think about the ability to get more done and, and be productive and be more creative. And this world of, of flow and research around flow has extended. and into other areas and have looked at high-performing teams like the Navy SEALs, where they've found that things like learning a language can happen at an accelerated pace where maybe it took six months, it now takes six weeks when you're in flow. You know, becoming a marksman happens much better and you you perform higher when you're in flow. So high-performing organizations like the military and like sport teams are now experimenting with flow states because they're finding that not only people learn faster, but they're more productive and they're more creative and they're more innovative. And when teams are in flow, when they're flowing together, they can get a lot more done. They can be far more productive and far more impactful than when they're operating as a, as a separate group of individuals. So I think this is really a, a ripe area for companies to explore and start to think about. How do we help, and and you're not going to be in flow all the time, but how do we help people get into those states of optimal performance when we are doing work that is most critical, when it needs the highest quality, when we're in that competitive mode of winning that big proposal, how do we help our people know how to trigger and get into flow so that they can be in those optimal states and you can get get more out of it and have more impact?
0: And we were talking, we touched a bit about this before, about how it's very hard for managers to understand and probably even harder for employees to get into flow state when you have the dirty laundry piling up, the dishes, the dog needs to go out, you know, all of these things going on um, just beyond your, your small screen. Yeah. But, um, but having these different strengths on the team so that each person on the team can optimize their role so for example um, you may have someone who's very creative who brings the ideas and then you may have somebody who's very much about execution. In many teams you can see that being a tension where the two just can't quite see eye to eye but on a team that has managed to find flow state perhaps you can accommodate the ideas of the creative person with the ability to execute of the very uh, practically focused individual as well, and each team member are able to shine for example, women dropping off uh, during the pandemic because of household responsibilities they just can't ignore, or also managing these different strengths that different individuals bring into the to the team so that they're not competing necessarily, but they're working together. And how can companies uh, practically kind of implement this so that employees can get to flow state?
1: I'll maybe hit two things that I think are important. And I, and I think the first which is really critical is changing the leadership paradigm from the old mindset where the leader sits at the top of the pyramid and everybody in the pyramid below the leader kind of lives and works to support and deliver to the leader who makes all the decisions, drives the value, and everything is wrapped around that leader being in charge. I think you see in in organizations that are really successful at, at really becoming high performing and getting into flow states is where that pyramid is flipped. And the leader sees themselves in what's called a servant leader, where their job is not to sit on the top of the pyramid and be served, but instead is to serve the team and help the team, everyone on the team, maximize and optimize their potential. Now, to do that, it means you have to really spend time to understand what are the relative strengths and weaknesses of the individuals, and to your point, give them the opportunity to be leaders themselves, to make decisions, to have a level of autonomy. You know, there was a pretty good book by Daniel Pink a while back called Drive, where he identified three things that really drive motivation, which was autonomy mastery and purpose and you have to give people all three but when you do their level of motivation goes off the charts and the, and the way I think that happens best is when you flip the pyramid and as a leader you get into that servant leader mode and everything you do is focused around how do I make the team and the individuals as successful as possible not how do I just satisfy my own ego as the leader.
0: Yeah, I was thinking about the ego as being a potential stumbling block for a lot of these things is having leaders who are uh, gracious enough or evolved enough, perhaps is the right term, to hand off leadership when there is someone on the team who can do a better job. I think that's still an area where a lot of leaders struggle. And even society is still very structured around this idea of one path to success, which leads to management, and then you manage a team and that also current way of working seems to be squeezing out um, uh, women in certain times of their life where they may need a little bit more flexibility from this structure.
1: PWC just came out with a, a survey, a workforce survey that showed that the group that's been hardest hit by the pandemic, most effective by the strains of the pandemic have been women aged 35 to 44. And interestingly enough, that majority said they felt stressed and anxious. And 70% of the respondents were feeling that they were unable to ask for help in managing their work-related stress. So I think that that's a message for anyone who's in a leadership position that they need to double down on their efforts of reaching out and trying to open up the dialogue and get people to feel comfortable with sharing what's going on for them and the challenges that they're facing in this environment.
0: It's it's interesting to think about how leaders can change by modeling yes. what they, they're expecting for, from their employees. Yeah, I think
1: the notion of leadership at all levels is something that people want. If you look at the younger generations today, they want to start leading very quickly our organization at PwC and the structure and how we started to work. This notion of leadership at all levels and even as a new joiner, you were a leader and you started by leading yourself and then you moved to leading others and then you moved to leading teams and then you started to lead organizations. And I think just that simple mindset shift in any organization can be helpful to start to build it into the DNA of the business that everybody's a leader, Everybody is responsible for certain decisions to which they're held accountable, but they also get credit, you know, and get recognition for making making those decisions.
0: I think we've um, had a very extensive chat. We've gotten lots of different places. We we've, we've covered a lot of ground,
1: more. that's for sure. <laughs>
0: Parts of um parts of the profession, specific parts that need to change and just generally where, where work um could use a tweak here and there. Do you have anything to add? Anything from your end that we you think we may we may have missed?
1: There's a lot of challenges right now. But the really good news, and we should all recognize that the profession has been through a lot of challenges over the course of its history, and it's thrived through those challenges and changes. And I think that it will continue to do that some of the things that i think have always benefited the profession will continue to benefit the profession is how we've developed people and the value that we bring to clients through our people and the relationships that they have the empathy they have the understanding of the business and the, the credibility and the trust that they build through those relationships. And I think you know now as we go through this period of accelerated change and digitization, we need to embrace technology and, and the, the digital change, but we also can't forget the value that the people play in that and understand that there's change that we need to go through with our people And think about how do we make those changes to create the workforce of the future that is going to maximize the value that really putting those two pieces together, the digital technology and the the people that are going to really accelerate the value that we can deliver to clients and to businesses. So, you know, I, I think that's how, you know, if you step back, how I might think about framing this. And then within that frame, there's a lot of specific challenges that people are going to need to work out in different ways of working and and the changes that we're going through. But I think there's a lot of positive to be taken away from this and a lot of opportunity to be taken from this. I
0: feel that the world of work will, will be forever changed. For better or for worse, um, after the For pandemic, better or for worse, yes. Yeah. With the yeah. offices, will they even survive? Nobody knows. But I wanted to thank yeah. you so much for your time and ask you if you have any resources that you might want our audience to check out.
1: Yeah, you can find me on, on uh, LinkedIn and happy to engage in any uh, chats or discussions uh, coming out of this. And again, thank you for having me. It's been fun to have the conversation.
0: Thanks for listening to Because People Count, the Accountancy Europe podcast. If you like what you hear, please leave us a rating or review and subscribe. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, and most podcasting apps. Get in touch. We are at Accountancy EU on Twitter, and you can contact me at andrea at accountancyeurope.eu. This podcast is presented and edited by Andrea Campbell with support from Yulia Keys. Our music is Fearless First by Kevin MacLeod, under a Creative Commons license. See you next time, because people count.